I tell you what, man, I, I am pumped to be back. For those of you who don't know, I haven't been here for the past two Sundays. I've been out of town. I'll get to that here in a second, uh, but I was able to spend some time in Ethiopia and South Africa and work with uh, urban church planners really across the continent of Africa. So I'll, I'll dive into that in just a second. Uh, a couple housekeeping things before we get started. The first one is this. Today we have Party with the Pastors. Uh, if you're so, There you go. Get excited about that. Uh, wh- what is Party with the Pastors? That's for anyone who's new to the church. Really, it's an opportunity for you to kind of hear who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. It's also an opportunity for you to ask any question that you want uh, to me or the staff, the team, uh, everybody that makes this, uh, this thing go around. Uh, but that's today right after service. So to get there, you go out of these doors, take a right, and we're going to be down the hall. There'll be some signers. There'll be people. There'll be snacks. I know some of you are already signed up for that. Also, uh, June 19th, that's Father's Day, first and foremost. Uh, second, that's going to be our family dedication day. So we'll have family dedications that day. Uh, I know many of you have already signed up your kiddos for that. Uh, we don't care if they're two years old, two months old, or 20 years old. Sometimes you just need to dedicate the family, amen? Uh, so we're, we're excited for that. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that and you want to be a part of uh, family dedications, make sure you sign that, or scan that QR code and send us your information. The week after that, a lot of stuff going on, June the 26th. Many of you have been asking for this. Uh, We're finally able to do it, but we're going to have a worship night. That's going to be a Sunday night. Uh, June the 26th, we'll be right in here. Uh, Man, it's just going to be a time for us to worship Jesus. We're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and and we're not going to put a time limit on it. We're going to kind of (laughs) just, the word, Corey was like, (laughs) <laughs> Corey's like, let's get after it. Uh, no, but we're excited for that. I mean, we're going to have, obviously, we're going to have some structure to it, uh, but you're free to come and go uh, whenever you want to. The last thing is this. Our women's retreat's coming up this coming week. If you're excited for that. Uh, if you haven't paid, make sure you scan that QR code. We have some scholarships available for that. Hey, listen, ladies, this, this is why we do this thing. Listen, I, I wasn't just blowing smoke a few months back when I talked about generations. We weren't just blowing smoke about being a church that wants to do community together. If you're new to this church, if you've been here for a while, maybe you've been here for two weeks, maybe you've been here for four years. Listen, we want you to be a part of the family. We want you to be a part of community. So make sure you sign up uh, for our women's retreat. It's going to be a time that kind of blesses you and, and blesses the church. And then, fellas, we've got a men's retreat coming up as well. There's not a slide for that. I just wanted to hear the guys. Scream, but, but we'll talk about that. So, hey, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, again, the past two weeks, man, I've been in, in South Africa and Ethiopia. And, and if you were a part of the prayer rally this morning, I was able to share some stuff with you. There's some things that I can't share because we're recording this thing right now. All right, because we're recording the service, and we have to be careful with, with what we talk about, where we're going. So I'm going to be kind of cryptic uh, this morning with some of the stuff, but if you want to know more detail, feel free to grab me after service. Feel free to come to party with the pastors, uh, but we will kind of let you guys know. We just can't put some stuff out across the interwebs, and we can't put some stuff in, in print. That was funny. Interwebs was funny. Like, chuckle. I haven't been here for two weeks, all right? Like, chuckle at my cheesy jokes, but we were in Africa working with church planners and and building teams and truly expanding the kingdom, we had an opportunity to partner with an organization called Urban Tribes. And, and for those who, who don't know, Urban Tribes is, is part of our denomination. And, and really what their focus is, is to plant churches in urban communities across the continent of Africa. So, so what does that practically look at? What, we're, what we call uh, gateway cities. So any major city across the continent of Africa. Man, we, we believe in having missionaries in the bush. We support missionaries in the bush. We support uh, individuals who are reaching tribes um, and, and, and indigenous people groups. But we also believe that God wants to reach the cities. Uh, so for us, we're starting to work with missionaries and support missionaries in specific cities. So I was in Addis Ababa um, at East Ridge Church with uh, Doug and, and, and Tasha Myers, and we had a phenomenal time in Addis, and then we flew over to, to Durban um, in South Africa and in Cape, Down, uh, Cape Town, and, and really there we worked with missionaries from across the continent of Africa. I mean, I could name, I could name missionaries that were in, they're in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, they're in uh, Nairobi in Kenya, and I can name some other places, but there's also some, some countries that we worked with missionaries from, that I can't say where they're going. It's a closed country. Uh, you're not allowed to plant uh, the gospel there. You're not allowed to plant churches there. In fact, if you say, hey, we're missionaries wanting to come in to plant a church, they'll say, hey, you know what? You're not welcome here. 
And we're not going to give you a visa, and we're not going to let you in. But what we've been able to do is partner with individuals. I have a call today with a missionary, um, and I have to call them today at 1 o'clock because they're in Kenya. And uh, tomorrow, or no, excuse me, Tuesday, they're flying to one of those closed countries. And we're talking about what it would look like for Multiply to help partner with them. They're looking for a mother church or a sending church when they go to this, this country with their family. Now, here, here's the, the God story and why we're even having the conversation. They're moving to this closed country to open up a CrossFit gym. Isn't that funny? Like, for, for those of you who know the dynamics of our church a little bit and, and everybody in here that does CrossFit or you like fitness or whatever the case may be, we have the opportunity to partner with missionaries and a family that's going to a closed country uh, to open up a CrossFit gym. Now, we know that's just a front for planning the gospel. We know that's a front for telling people about Jesus. So, so I, again, I can, as we're not recording, if you want to know where that is, I can kind of tell you one-on-one. But take a look at this recap video of our time there uh, in South Africa. So excited about our first Urban Tribes conference. I'm looking forward to everyone that's coming to join us. So yeah, I'm really excited because it's my first conference with the Urban Tribes movement and I'm so happy to be here. I'm so pumped up and excited about the conference. This is our first conference in this facility with Urban Tribes. I cannot wait for the next three days. I'm just as excited. I don't know what you guys are doing at home. You guys need to be here. It's going to be tops. I am so excited to be here in Durban, South Africa, for the Urban Tribes CMN Conference. Um, I just walked in minutes ago and the welcome has been really amazing. someone in a leadership capacity like that. If I just had them on my team, if I could just bring them to my team, then our team would be better. Well, what if you actually develop someone that's already on your team and raise them up to the level of your expectation? That, that's the hard work. The problem is we don't want to do the hard work. We'll say, I wonder if we can pay them a little more than we get paid now and they can just come over here. One of the things that spoke to me was the opportunity yesterday to hear from Jason Patterson talking about leading from security. As, as insecure leaders, we don't always lead the way that God has intended us to, but as He informs us of our own security in Him, we begin to lead in a new form and a new fashion to be who He's created us to be. It, it's going to help me in my own leadership as we work as missionaries to see others come to the continent of Africa. All I can say is phenomenal, amazing. It's amazing to see what God is doing in the middle of all, all of this. And we know that God still has more for everyone, for every city, every country represented here. Wow, we can't wait to see and celebrate what God is doing. Heavy things get lighter when we live together. Heavy things. I don't know what's heavy in your life right now or your ministry or your marriage or your family. But I'm telling you, the power of urban tribes, the power of partnership, the power of the big K kingdom, heavy things get lighter when we live together. You know that's true. And yet there's something in us that sometimes pushes, fights against, and even rejects it. And I wanna invite us just to put on this truth that Jesus invites us into the mission as part of his mission, then he invites us to invite people with him. And what God was saying to his people is because you're my people, you don't have to fight, you don't have to strive, you don't have to make your own way in the world. You don't have to be afraid, you don't have to isolate yourself. Instead, you can reflect my glory as I originally created you and intended you to, even though you're in Babylon before the city. church. Let's give it up for Urban Tribes. Hey, listen, Randy Freeman, if you guys are watching this back from South Africa, we love you. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and, and for allowing us and, and Multiply Lake Norman just to pour in 
to your community. I, I, I tell you what, um, one thing that I noticed watching that video, I didn't notice it the first time, but when they said heavy things get lighter when you live together, my tail was the one going up in the air. So, I mean, yes, I might have gained a couple of pounds while I was traveling, but come on. Uh, but th this is what I know as a church. I mean, as a church, we're about to go gangbusters planting churches. As a church, we're about to take this kingdom stuff seriously. And for us, it's locally and it's globally. We can't do stuff across the, the world, across the globe, if we don't have a strong center, if we don't have a strong local support. Man, I, I can't tell you how much um, I thought about you guys in our church this pa the past two weeks. Because I would have never had the opportunity to, to go, to pour in to missionaries across the continent of Africa if it weren't for each and every one of you. And I don't say that, I don't say that in jest. I don't say that just to kind of say it. I sincerely mean that. Because of you, because of our community, this isn't Zach Witt up here doing it by himself. This wasn't Zach going across to Africa and speaking. No, this was this church doing it together. And, and we truly are better together. And, and things truly do get lighter when we live together. So, so locally and globally. A few weeks back, uh, I, I brought um, Aubrey and Eric Doan up on stage. And, and we announced that we're planning a church in Hickory. Here's some good news. They've moved into their house in Hickory. So that's something to celebrate. Eric's here today. Um, your wife just decided to go party at the beach and, and leave you by yourself to unpack everything. No, she's with, she's with Amory, her sister, on, on a bachelorette weekend. So they're having a good time. But, but man, we're excited about planting churches. What would it look like for us to plant a church in Hickory? What would it look like for us to plant a church in Huntersville? What would it look like for us to have five locations in the Lake Norman area? Man, I feel like that's what God's put on my heart. And hear me, it's not just so that we can have a building or a location or a church in all these different areas. It's so that people that are far away from Jesus might understand and hear of the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus displayed on the cross. Why do we need more churches? It's because there's more lost people. Well, Zach, should we just focus on, on this one church? No, probably not. Why? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go, go and make. Don't sit and get comfortable. Go and make. Don't just try to fill, fill a building. So what does it look like locally? What does it look like globally? I, I've talked about Nicaragua. You're going to hear me talk about Zambia more and more. You're going to hear me talk about South Africa. Hey, hey what, what if... What if this church planted a church in, in Johannesburg, South Africa? Why not? Why not us? Why can't God use this community? This is what I know about Joburg. Joburg is a huge financial... Joburg and Pretoria are a huge financial district for South Africa. I heard a stat while I was gone. There's enough wealth in Joburg and Pretoria to completely eradicate all the hunger in Africa. What, what, if, what if God's calling us to plant a church that we might be able to re in a, reach an affluent community, that they might be able to spread that wealth across the continent of Africa? Why, why not us? I think too many times churches kind of sit back, Christians sit back, and they go, well, somebody needs to do that. Why not us? I mean, you hear me say this to you guys all the time. You know, you'll come to me and you'll say, hey, pastor, I think we need to have X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, you're exactly right. Why don't you do it? <laughs> so when I'm with these missionaries, they're challenging me and, and they're saying, this is what we need. This is what we need. This is what we need. And all I could think of was this community. All I could think of was the individuals at this church. Why not us? Why can't God use us? But what if he is? Well, Zach, we're only a church of a few hundred. Why not us? Zach, we've only been a church of, for four years. Why not us? Zach, we, we're working on our own building. Why not us? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in, in kingdom concepts. And, and the Bible is very, very clear that you need to sow seed where you want to see a harvest. And I believe in sowing us. And that's not even my message today. I should probably stick to my, I should probably stick to my notes. But, but why does all this even matter? Why does planting churches matter? Why does the local church matter? Why does the global church matter? If I read my Bible, if I read Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, this is what my Bible says. My Bible tells me that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To, to me. Well, that was Jesus, not you. So let's be clear with that. Therefore, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
So all power has been given to me or really to Jesus. And then what does Jesus tell us to do? Jesus tells us to go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a suggestion, church. It's a commandment. And when Jesus looks at us and he says, go and make disciples, once we die, once we stand before him, I wonder, I wonder if he's going to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, you kept my commandments. Or is he going to look at us and say, hey, Zach, you got comfortable in your church. Hey, Zach, you got comfortable in Lake Norman. I never want to live out of comfort. Go make disciples. Well, how, how do we do that? We have to use our authority and our influence. It's the difference between authority versus influence. I want to honor Brittany and the team for holding it down the past two weeks. Brittany, you did a great job. I was watching online. I was traveling. I was still watching. But, but here, here's the thing. This is what Brittany taught us about gate-level authority last week. And she mentioned a few, a few different things. The, the first thing is this. It's our struggle. And then it's our position. And then it's our power. Let's dive into scripture. What's our struggle? Well, we see our struggle in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our struggle. We're not fighting each other. We're not fighting another church. We're fighting things on a spiritual level. That's our struggle. But what's our position? Our position is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. What does it say? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Once we step into a relationship with Jesus, what happens? We're welcomed into the family. And when we're welcomed into the family, we have access to the authority of the kingdom. So we have our struggle, we have our position, and then we have our power. Our power is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And it reads like this, the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. I want to pause right there for a second. That, that's where we can miss it as Christ followers. We can feel like we have to do everything on our own, that it takes everything inside of us. And what Jesus is saying is that no, that, that's not what you fight with. You don't necessarily fight with who you are. You fight with the power of Jesus. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Can I remind every single person in this room, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then Scripture, not Zach Witt, Scripture tells you that you have divine power to demolish strongholds. So I'll, I'll ask you again, why not us? Why can't God use us? Why can't God use you? You have divine power inside of you. Now let me be very clear. It's not because of anything you've done. It's not because of your own ambition. It's not because of your own power. It's not because of your name. It's not because of the life you've lived. It has everything to do with what Jesus displayed on the cross. That's where the divine power comes from. Authority is in the spiritual realm while influence is in the physical realm. Last week, Brittany got up here and she spoke about the authority that you have in Jesus. And that's, that's in the spiritual realm. Today I want to talk about influence a little bit. I want to talk about the power of local. Because what we can do, if we're not careful, we can listen to the news. We can listen to global news. We can listen to national news. And we can feel so powerless and so helpless. Man, when I was, when I was gone, I pull up, pull up the news and I see some stuff come across my phone, and I saw the mass shootings. I saw what's happening in the world. And, and I, was in, I was in Addis Ababa and Ethiopia, and I was sitting down with the missionaries, and they said, Zach, this is one of the hardest years we've ever had. Like, they came out of COVID, and COVID was weird for them. And, and right after that, they had civil unrest. So they were, getting, they were getting emails and messages from the UN quite literally twice a day for six months telling them they need to get out of the country. Because of the wars that were happening. Because of the missiles that were being shot into the city. And they said, you know what? We don't feel like God wants us to leave. That'll wreck your world as a pastor. We have it easy here. I get to come to church on a Sunday morning and talk about Jesus openly. They were worried about a missile coming in their living room. That's, that's just a different mindset. I was in Durban 
And I was with uh, Randy Freeman, and, and we were talking about uh, things that South Africa has been dealing with and the civil unrest. Listen, we, d- we deal with, with racism here, and we deal with some stuff stateside, but it's on a whole different level when you go to different countries. They just walked out of a civil unrest where quite literally a mile from their house, there were missiles being shot into the city, where buildings were being put on fire. They had a plan for their kids, and they sold their kids. They said, hey, we're just going to pack a bag with, with, everything, with everything that you can fit into one, one book bag. It was so bad, they had to barricade their own, their own neighborhoods. It was so bad that they had a plan how to get to where a helicopter could get them out. And for three months, that's the way they lived. They, they heard it coming, and then for about two weeks, it was just, they could hear mortars going off. They could hear everything they were, that was going on around them. It's just different around the world. Why does all this even matter? Why do I even share the story? Because it's up to us to continue to expand the kingdom of God. Shame on us if we sit here and get comfortable on a Sunday morning. Shame on us if we just come and go, all right, well, I did, my, I did my duty. I got my check mark. I was able to go to church on Sunday, so I'm good for the rest of the week. What, it, what would it look like if we took the mandates from Jesus seriously? Go make disciples. God's stirring up the power of local, but what is most powerfully global is also deeply local. Again, I couldn't do what I did the past two weeks if it wasn't for this church. I couldn't go uh, coach CMN uh, launches. I couldn't go coach church planters. I couldn't go do this stuff if it wasn't for this church. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 23 says this, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders in the land. How are you, how are you known in the community? How are we known in the community? What type of representation do we give the kingdom of God? Because we're living in a world where everyone wants to be famous. We're living in a world where everyone wants to be an influencer. We're living in a world where everyone wants to jump on social media and produce as many videos as they can so that they can become famous, so that the world would recognize them. But few people, few people want to be known. Most people want to be famous, but few people want to be known. Famous is the blue check mark by your Instagram name and paying attention to how many followers you have. Known as having a group of men and women who truly have your back. When the hits the fan, you got somebody you can call. Y'all can fill in your own blank and you can determine how spiritual you want to be this morning. Famous, famous is where you spout off opinions because you feel like you're always right. But known is where you choose your words wisely. Famous is where you tell other people how to live and how to act. But known is where you weigh your decisions because you and your family are affected by your leadership decisions that you make. Famous is where people place a carefully curated and edited version of themselves on social media for the world to see. But known, known is where you allow yourself to be open and vulnerable in order for God to be glorified in your weakness. Why do we show people our weaknesses? We show people our weaknesses so that they can actually see what God can work with. Too often we want to put that curated version of ourselves in front of everybody. I've got it all figured out. I've got it all together. No, you don't. Stop faking it. It's okay to put your authentic self in front of people. Famous is where you're envied, but known, known is where you're respected. I would much rather be respected than envied. Famous is based on your talent, but known is based on your character. What does your character say about the kingdom of God? Famous is walking into a room and saying, here I am. But known is walking into a room saying, there you are. I stole that from Josh Randall's. Josh, if you're watching this, you're welcome. Known known is how big can I make my brand. And known is realizing the power of local. Famous is shallow and hollow. But known is deep and meaningful. This is what I've come to know. The world will not be changed by famous. But the world can and will be changed by known. By the way, fame is up to God. 
Don't seek out being famous. If you, if you get a platform, hallelujah, praise the Lord, use your platform for the kingdom of God. But don't seek that platform out. Don't seek to be famous. Seek to be known. Ask yourself this question. Are you envied in the community or are you known in the community? We're going to dive into Genesis chapter 41 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. There's going to be some scripture on the screen, and then I'm going to paraphrase uh, some of the story. But we're going to be talking about Joseph this morning. I'll pick up in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? I want to put a pin right there for just a second. Of all the titles that, that I ever receive, of all the titles that Zach Witt will ever, ever carry, the title of, of husband, the, the title of, of dad, the title of friend, the title of, of pastor or crossfitter or business owner, regardless of what titles that someone might try to label me with, I want to be known by this first and foremost, that I am obviously filled with the Spirit of God. I don't care what type of title you carry in your day-to-day -day life. My question back to you would be this. Are you obviously filled with the Spirit of God? When people encounter you, do they encounter the living God or do they just encounter your flesh? Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court. And all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. And then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, they command, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but, but no one will lift a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. There's a difference between gate-level authority and gate-level influence. This is gate-level influence. Joseph had influence with Pharaoh. But it started with gate-level authority from heaven. It started with what God put into motion before Joseph ever got to Egypt. See, everyone wants that position. Everyone wants to be second in command. Everyone wants a signet ring. Everyone wants to ride around on the chariot. Everyone wants to give the orders. But few people want to endure what Joseph had to endure to get there. And maybe, maybe we step into your world. Everybody wants to be where you are. Everybody wants your story. Sure, people want your position at work or, or they want your job title. They want your paycheck. But they don't want to put in the work to get there. Matt, I'm sure people want your job. I'm, I'm sure there's people, I won't name the organization, but there's people within your organization that want your job. But very few people want to move their family across the country a, a couple times. And very few people want to put in the hours. And very few people have to go down to the beach when everything's flooded and you're standing knee-deep in water to fix a store. They, they don't want to do that part, but they want your title. Everybody wants the title, but they don't want to do the work. It's everything that happens before Genesis chapter 41. It's everything that people don't see. Put it in your context. Put it in your world. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's humbling to have a room this size with this many people in it. Because four and a half years ago, your boy was sitting in his living room going, I hope people show up to the first service. 36 people show up. And then, and, then, and then when we were at the movie theater, we were like, hey, let's do two services. So we have two services. And the first, second service that we, that first like Sunday that we had two services, I think there were three people in the first service. One of those included me. <laughs> Sam, I think you might have been sitting in there. And it was the band. Like, like, like that's all, like it's humbling to sit in here, but, but nobody wants to put in, nobody wants to put in the work. Eric, it's going to be humbling when you launch a church and few people show up, we don't do it for the masses, we do it for the one. 
We do it for the one people, or the one person who might step into a relationship with Jesus. Nobody wants to put in the work. Listen, I love my wife and, and I love my girls with my heart and my soul. Jenna's not here today. She's home. Harlow's not feeling good, so she's watching online. So I can say this because she's actually watching even though she's not here. But man, what about, what about those early years? Babe, they didn't see those early years. They see us love our girls now, but they didn't see the knockdown, drag out arguments that we had in those early years. And maybe a couple months ago, but you know. Okay, y'all acting like y'all are holier than thou, that y'all's relationships, that y'all don't have arguments. Like they see, they see the curated version, right? But they don't, they don't see the arguments behind closed doors. They see me and Jenna, you see me and Jenna love each other, but, but what you don't see are, are the moments of our doubt and, and, and honestly, our faith when we walk through a miscarriage. What you don't see is how we questions, question God's goodness about four weeks ago when my daughter was on her way to the, the, the ER because she had a seizure and she wasn't breathing. What, what you don't see are like, God, are you kidding me? And you can put some four-letter colorful words in there too because I promise you I said them to God. You don't, you don't see that. You see that curated version. What, what, you don't see, what you don't see is when, when we were struggling to make ends meet when we planted the church. What you don't see is when I was driving Uber. What you don't see is when I was working four jobs. What you don't see is, and you can fill in your own blank, but you, you have those stories too. You have the stories. People see you love your family, but they don't see you in that season where you went through a separation. They, they don't see you uh, when you slept on the couch. They, they don't see you when you thought that the only way out was divorce. You just see the curated version. We all deal with stuff, but before you have a seat of influence at the palace, you'll walk through different seasons. We have to backtrack. We have to look at what Joseph went through. And the first season that Joseph went through was the pit. And the pit is where you experience rejection. When you have time, go back and, and start in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to give you some highlights today just for, for time's sake. But let me, kind of, let me kind of tell you what's going on with Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. So what we know, what scripture tells us is that Joseph was his father's favorite son. Scripture says that, that Joseph's dad liked him more than any of his other kids. It's like I ask parents now, hey, who's your favorite kid? Oh, I don't have a favorite parent. Well, clearly Joseph's dad did. <laughs> I watched a video, this is a side note, I watched a video the other day, and uh, a, a son was like asking his mom, hey, mom, who's your favorite kid? And, and the mom responds like, well, I love all my, my kids the same. And then he said, well, who's your least favorite kid? And she goes, your sister. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, I love them all the same, but I'll tell you who my least favorite is. But that's, that's, that was the, the setup. So, so how does Joseph's dad display that? Scripture tells us that he gives him this coat of many colors. He gives him this gift that he didn't give any of the other brothers. Could you imagine being the oldest one? Going, I've done everything that you've ever asked me to do. You've put me through the ringer, and you're going to give... The coat to him, to the young one, to the one who hasn't done anything yet. He's 17. I've lived my entire life trying to please you and you give it to him? So that's the setup of the story. And then Joseph has this dream. Now Joseph at 17 years old didn't have a lot of good discernment. And we want to give him a hard time. It's like you made every positive and good decision at 17 years old. No, you didn't. But Joseph has this dream. And he goes to his dad, and he goes to his brothers, and, and he starts to tell them this dream. And he says, hey, by the way, I'm younger than all of you, but one day all of you are going to bow down to me. God, why? Because God told me so. Sucker didn't have, he didn't have discernment. So his brothers kind of plot uh, against him, and, and they plan to kill him. But one of Joseph's brothers, Reuben, said, hey, let's throw him into a pit. And Reuben's plan was to come back and save him. He had good intent. But what happened? The Ishmaelite traders started coming down the path. And a few of his brothers said, hey, why don't we actually sell him in to slavery? Why don't we sell him to the Ishmaelites? So what Joseph heard from his family was, I don't want you. Anybody ever experienced that? You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand, but you ever had that feeling 
that you're not wanted? Have you ever had that feeling that the people that were supposed to, to be closest to you are the ones that cast you to the side? They're the ones that want to get rid of you. Oftentimes, rejection is by the people who are closest to you. It's not a matter of, of if you'll be rejected. It's just a matter of when. We'll all experience rejection at some point in our life. Rejection will happen, but you don't have to carry the spirit of rejection. Too many people come to church, they've been hurt, they've been burned, they've been pushed to the side, and it was years and years and years ago, and you're still carrying around that sense of rejection. You almost carry it like a badge of honor. You almost carry it as if you can point to it, and that's your excuse for you to act the way that you are. That's your excuse for you not to love your family. That's your excuse for you not to call your brother, not to call your sister, not to call your mom, not to call your dad. They hurt me so bad. They rejected me. It should be on them to mend the relationship. You carry around like a badge of honor so you can justify your actions. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Jesus says don't carry it like a badge of honor. Forgive. 70 times 70. Forgive. 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 We don't have to carry it. Like a badge of honor. Often rejection is not because of what's wrong in you, but because of what God has placed inside of you. What I've come to find out is that God is working something in you that others truly won't understand. And if you're honest with yourself, sometimes you don't understand it. You know that God has placed something so deeply inside of you, but you can't, you can't verbalize it or act it out in a proper manner because you don't fully understand it yourself. The pit and the selling to the Ishmaelite traders were how God got Joseph to Egypt. God was at work fulfilling Joseph's dream. I mean, think about it. We, we just read that, that Joseph was his dad's favorite. So if God gave Joseph a dream and he said, Hey, Joseph, I actually want you to move to Egypt. If Joseph would have gone to his dad and said, Hey, Pops, God just told me to tell you that I'm supposed to go to Egypt. I could imagine Joseph's dad looking at him going, heck no. Like, you're, you're my youngest kid. You're my favorite. <laughs> I don't want you to leave. But on the other hand, think about Joseph. Dude had it made. Everything that he wanted was given to him. He was getting, he was getting gifts from Pops. He was able to hang out, do whatever he wanted to. If God would have said, hey, Joseph, I need you to go to Egypt, I assume that Joseph would have said something along the lines of, are you kidding me? Look at what I have. Starting to read between the lines in Scripture, that's how God got Joseph to Egypt. Rejection will happen, but your true character and trust in God is revealed when you experience rejection. I think oftentimes when we experience rejection, we experience pain or hurt, what do we do? We put up our defenses opposed to offering forgiveness. And, and, then, and then let's look at Joseph. Let's continue with the story. See, Joseph moved from rejection to temptation. Well, where was the temptation? So Joseph was sold into slavery and he, found, he finds himself where? He finds himself in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's house is where you're going to experience temptation. So Joseph crawls out of this pit, and he's been rejected. He's alone. He's been sold into slavery. And I, and I had to ask myself this question. What, like, what, is Joseph's, what, if, what is Joseph's main need? What is, he, what is he longing for? What is the thing that he wants to fill more than anything in the world? And, and all I could think about was this. It's one word. Acceptance. Why? Because his family didn't accept him. His family didn't want him. All he wanted to be was accepted for someone to want him. How many of you know that, that the enemy, the devil, will pull at your greatest desires? So what happens? He goes to Potiphar's house. What does Potiphar's wife say? Potiphar's wife, she wasn't bashful. The people laugh and know the story. I'm just going to speak plainly. Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce Joseph. 
She wanted to have sex with him. I think sometimes when we come to church, we don't want to read the Bible for what it is. Sometimes we come to church and we expect like the pastor to put this gloss over scripture. Nah, ain't happening. We're going to read it for what it is. So Joseph gets to Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife says this. She says, I want you. I want you. As soon as you come out of the pit, Satan will have a Potiphar's wife ready for you. As soon as you experience rejection, Satan will have something or someone ready to fill that void of rejection. You know what we call that in the dating world? We call that a rebound. There you go. Thank you for laughing. It's okay to laugh at church, okay? You can laugh. <laughs> Listen, you've been rejected. You've been hurt. If you're not careful, you'll give attention to the first thing that makes you feel accepted. Potiphar's wife will offer to meet your every need, every longing, every desire that the pit exposed in you. Because the, the pit, the pit exposes wrong relationships. The, the pit exposes sexual experiences. The, the pit exposes addictions. But as soon as you're rejected by a group of people that you long to please, the devil will have people ready to accept you. Accept you. And really, they just want to destroy you. So Potiphar's wife keeps coming after Joseph, and Joseph keeps refusing. And he, eventually, Scripture tells us that Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph, and we pick up in verse 12, but he left his garment in her hand, and he fled out of the house. Dude was running naked, literally, to save his life. This is what I've come to know in, in, in my life. You can't fight sexual temptation. You have to flee sexual temptation temptation. See, some of you keep beating yourself up because you keep having sex. Some of you keep beating yourself up because you keep watching porn and you feel like you're a failure because you just can't win the fight. Stop trying to fight it and just flee from it. What, 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 happened, what happened to Joseph? Zach, how, how do I do that? Listen, just ask yourself some very simple questions and, and put yourself in situations where you can win. Don't find yourself alone with the opposite sex too late at night. It's that simple. Once the kissing gets a little too passionate, cool the jets and go take a walk. Stop scrolling through social media late at night. I, listen, I wish that someone would have told me to stop fighting and to start fleeing. It would have saved me a lot of self-doubt and a lot of self-disappointment. Stop fighting and start fleeing. What does Joseph do? Joseph runs with his cheeks in the wind, and then he gets falsely accused. I mean, seriously, that's what, how can you imagine, could y'all imagine driving down the road and, and y'all see somebody come out of your neighbor's house and they're stark naked and they're just running and old girls like standing at the, standing at the door holding a robe. You're like, what in the world's going on? Like, that's what I, like, that's the way my brain works when I read the Bible. I'm like, for real? Like, but Joseph run away. But, but notice, notice what happens. Even the things that promise to accept you will imprison you. Potiphar's wife says, I want you. I want to accept you. I want to give you all of your desires. I want to fulfill your every need, fulfill your every want, fulfill your every desire. And as soon as Joseph runs away, what happens? She goes to Potiphar, says, hey, Joseph tried to sleep with me. You should probably throw him in jail. So he's wrongfully accused. So Joseph moves from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison. Genesis 39, verse 4, so Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So where did Joseph first find favor? Jo Joseph first, first found favor in Potiphar's house. Then Genesis chapter 39, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph found favor in the prison. But what if, what if Joseph would have looked down on the place of his assignment? Because oftentimes, that's what we can do. What if Joseph would have got caught up in his dream? Think back to Genesis 41. What if that was all that was on Joseph's mind? I shouldn't be in this prison. I shouldn't be at Potiphar's house. God told me that y'all were going to bow down to me. 
What if he was fixated on his dream? See, too many people confuse the place of their gift with the operation of their gift. God has given each and every single one of us a gift in this room. The question is, are you going to choose to step into that gift set and use it where you are? Or are you trying to get to some level or some title so then you can display the gifts that God's given you? God says, be faithful where you are. If Joseph wasn't careful, he could think something along the lines of, I should be in charge. I should be in that position. I should be in that role. I should fill in your own blank. But scripture tells us to use your gifts where you are. Stop looking for the perfect place to operate in your gifting and use it wherever you are. I know this is going to seem kind of strong for some people in the room. I was on the plane. I was reading through my notes. And I just started praying. And, and I feel like the Lord wanted me to share this. Maybe it's for one person. Maybe it's for the whole room. Maybe it's for five of you. I don't know. Maybe it was bad airplane food. Maybe it's for nobody. But I feel like the Lord wanted me to tell somebody in the room, if you don't start using the gifts that God has given you, then he's going to move on from you and not expect you to use them. He's going to go find somebody else that will. What would it look like for you to use your gifts to expand the kingdom? What would it look like for you to use your gifts inside the church? Joseph's gifts was leadership, overseer, get an apostolic gifting, but his place to use his gifting was wherever the Lord placed him. The Lord placed him in Potiphar's house. Use your gift where you are. The Lord placed him in prison. Use your gift where you are. Where's the Lord placing you? Use your gifts where you are. Let me go back to the Bible. We pick up Joseph's in prison. Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker are thrown into prison and they have dreams and and they go to Joseph and Joseph interprets their dreams and he does a good job. He gets it exactly right. He looks at the cupbearer and he goes, hey, in a couple of days, you're going to be beside Pharaoh again. He still likes you. And then he looks at the baker and he goes, you in trouble. Your head's going to be on a stick in like three days. And all, all Joseph says to the cupbearer is this. He says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but, for, but forgot him. All, all Joseph wanted was to be remembered all, all, the only request that Joseph had was hey cupbearer remember me remember me when you're beside Pharaoh maybe maybe I'll get out of prison yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him so in the pit we feel rejected Joseph felt I don't want you Potiphar's house you feel tempted but it's a false sense of I want you in prison prison's tough Prison is where you feel overlooked. Prison is where you feel like you've been forgotten. And it's not just overlooked in your area of failure, but it's overlooked in your area of your greatest gifting. Joseph interpreted the dream correctly. He got it right. Listen, I get it. I get it if you're overlooked if you weren't good. I, I get being overlooked where, I, where, where I've messed up where I have mistakes, but it's tough to be overlooked when I know that the hand of God is on my life. That's where it's hard. It's kind of like the kid that plays triple-A ball, batted 389 and in spring training, he had 20 RBIs, five home runs, but for some reason, he didn't get called up to the big leagues. I get it if he was batting a buck 20. I, I, I get being overlooked when when we're not ready. I get being overlooked when, when we've messed up, but being overlooked when you get it right, that's, man, that's tough. Being overlooked is different than being rejected, but being overlooked can trigger all those feelings of rejection. You'll start having flashbacks to the pit. You'll start having flashbacks to everyone who ever left you, everyone who hurt you, everyone who disappointed you, everyone who you believed in but who didn't believe in you back? You know what? You know what being overlooked actually does? It actually wants you to go back to the acceptance of Potiphar's wife. When we're overlooked, we want to go back to that false sense of security. We want to go back to that false sense of acceptance. That's tough. 
but what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. It's the pit, it's Potiphar's house, it's the prison, it's rejection, it's temptation, it's being overlooked. All of these feelings are real. And there's a good chance that you've experienced one, if not all, of these emotions. One, if not all, of these feelings. But fast forward to Genesis chapter 45 while I land the plane. At this point, Joseph is second in command. And he's led through seven prosperous years. And he's in the middle of leading through seven years of famine. And Joseph finally tells his brothers who he is. We pick up in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. And they came near. And and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine how they felt? Like, what the heck? Thought he was dead. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 50, verse 12. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This verse is full of truth. Listen, when you feel like you've been punched in the mouth, When you feel like the enemy's kicked you in the chest, remind yourself of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Every time you feel like you were rejected, remind yourself, remind yourself what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. Every time you feel like you've been overlooked, remember and remind yourself what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Every time you feel like you weren't good enough, remind yourself what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. All across this room, if you would stand on your feet. Thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.